Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian communities and cults, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. Cryptocurrency, one of the most buzzy techno-utopian ideas out there. Is it really a disruptive technology of the future? Or a bunch of esoteric elitist crypto bro bullshit? I don't know, but this is Failed Utopia, so I'm going to tell you all about it anyway. So how can we start to understand whether crypto can or already does live up to the hype? The first thing we need to figure out is what even is it? Sure, it's been around for over a decade now, so we all know it's a decentralized digital currency that exists on the blockchain. But what does that mean? Well, we know the blockchain is an open source virtual ledger that keeps track of your crypto via a public record of peer-to-peer transactions. But what does that mean? (laughs) Just because we can describe it in the most basic terms doesn't mean we understand it. That's not inherently bad, I guess. I mean, that's a sign of the times. Most of us don't know how our iPhone or any of the apps on it work either. That doesn't mean we can't benefit from using it. But it also exposes us to risks we may not be aware of. A blockchain network is essentially like a big spreadsheet or database that's distributed on tens of thousands of random people's computers across the world. All these computers are linked via the internet, and so they all have the same version of this ledger, where a record of every crypto coin transaction gets recorded in an anonymized form. Think of it like a giant Google Doc. I know, suddenly it doesn't sound so fancy. But the purported benefit is that it's decentralized, and it's secured with cryptography, so in theory it can't be messed with, i.e. falsified, and the record can't be lost other than in a catastrophic end-of-the-world doomsday event where we lose every computer and the internet, of course. In theory. Keep that in the back of your mind, because we're coming back to that idea of immutability later. The other supposed main benefit of crypto is its anonymity. The blockchain records transactions using a long string of numbers and letters instead of the names of parties doing the transactions. A person's anonymous, or I guess pseudonymous ID, is connected to the individual's crypto wallet, and that digital wallet can only be accessed with a private key generated with cryptography. Sounds pretty foolproof, right? Wrong, but hold on to that one too because we'll get back to that. The blockchain sounds like one thing, but actually there's more than one. Each type of coin, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, whatever, has its own ledger, more or less. Actually, cryptocurrencies are a class of digital asset that exist on their own blockchains, and crypto tokens are built on an existing blockchain, 
but for practical use, these terms tend to be used interchangeably, and that's how I'll be treating them in this episode. And of course, other things besides crypto can exist on a blockchain as well, like NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which is a big topic and there's so much to say that I just can't fit it into this episode, but if you want the short version, NFTs are almost completely a scam, even if a few people have made money with them and some artists like them. Got it? (laughs) Okay, if you still don't feel like you understand crypto, don't worry, I don't either. And very few people who are not computer scientists or cryptographers actually understand the underlying technology of crypto. But even for a layman's understanding, it's helpful to know where these crypto coins come from. The way that cryptocurrency is created is through a process called mining. And the similarity that it has to physical mining for, let's say, gold in the real world is that scarcity gives the commodity its value. So if you could just dig up as much gold as you wanted and it was dirt cheap to mine it, gold wouldn't be worth much as a commodity. Now, digital coins work basically the same way. They need to be somewhat rare and hard to get so that everyone can agree they hold value. If they were just everywhere and you could make as many as you wanted for free, they wouldn't be worth anything, right? So that's where mining comes in. Basically, a batch of cryptocurrency transactions gets cleared every 10 minutes. Crypto miners are the people who process these transactions, and they do this by using their computers equipped with specialized chips and software to solve large math problems. So if a miner, of which there are thousands all over the world, successfully solves a problem before all the other miners out there, They have now mined a block, and they're rewarded with a block reward of a few crypto coins. And they also earn some transaction fees for those transactions they just processed by completing that arbitrary calculation. Solving these math problems, which I believe are usually factoring some really large numbers or things like that, is a useless task that uses up massive amounts of electricity due to the intensive computing power needed to carry it out. But it serves the purpose of both processing crypto transactions and also keeping the digital coins scarce because they're slow and expensive to mine. Again, like that analogy to physically mining resources in the real world. Just because computer scientists understand how it works doesn't mean they like it. Here's how computer science professor Nicholas Weaver put it in an interview with Current Affairs. What the miners are doing is literally wasting tons of electricity to prove that the record is intact, because anybody who would want to attack it has to waste that similar kind of electricity. This creates a couple of real imbalances. Either they're insecure or they're inefficient, meaning that if you don't waste a lot of energy, someone can rewrite history cheaply. If you don't want people to rewrite history, you have to be wasting tons and tons of resources 24-7-365, and that's why Bitcoin burns as much power as a significant country. So this brings us to the first downside of crypto, and it's a doozy. Using an amount of electricity that could power an entire small or medium-sized country for basically no good reason at all. 
and miners are motivated to operate in areas with the cheapest electricity possible so they get the best bang for their buck, which in some cases may mean operating in areas with the dirtiest energy grid. In other cases, they may be using renewable energy, but wasting an amount of electricity equivalent to what millions of people would normally use nonetheless. Now, if you follow the news, you may have just heard the other day about the merge. No, not the purge like the horror movie, the merge. This was a giant restructuring of Ethereum, the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap, right after Bitcoin, of course, the original cryptocurrency. The merge was years in the making, but when it went into effect, the energy footprint of Ethereum dropped by 99%. They called their maneuver the merge because it somehow involved merging two blockchains. But the reason it's such a huge change is that they moved away from the proof-of-work model that constitutes mining, as I described it before. Now they're using a proof-of-stake model. So instead of solving math problems to get a hold of new blocks to verify, miners enter a stake of their own Ether tokens into a pool. And then it's like a lottery. If you get called, you get to mine the block. But now they call it verifying instead of mining, but same thing. But the effect is that without the useless math problem solving, you need approximately 99.65% less electricity to run the system. So that seems awesome. I don't know why this took eight years. They started working on this back in 2014. And also, why doesn't Bitcoin do this too? Bitcoin is huge. It uses way more power than Ethereum ever did. And as of now, it appears extremely unlikely that Bitcoin will switch to a proof of stake model. But anyway, this seems like a massive step in the right direction for Ethereum, while also a sad reminder of the soul-crushing wastefulness of crypto in general. So it's kind of hard to understand how crypto works, but the thing I have the toughest time understanding is why. Why are certain people so excited about it? What can it actually do that solves a problem that someone has? How many people actually need to pay for something anonymously, especially given that we're tracked in innumerable other ways? If you have a cell phone, nothing you're doing is anonymous anyway, basically. Like, we're all at peak learned helplessness here. We pretty much just accept that we're being tracked and monetized at all times, and we just shrug and go about our business. And the problem of how to pay for stuff has already been solved. If you want to pay for something digitally, you can just use PayPal or Cash App or Venmo or any one of about a zillion other apps and platforms for this exact purpose, probably including your actual bank. My bank uses another popular digital payment platform called Zelle. I pay my rent with Zelle. And I don't need that transaction with my landlord to be anonymous and untraceable. In fact, it's the opposite. For most transactions, people want a record of it, and they want it to be traceable and also reversible. Crypto transactions are not reversible, like when you go out and buy something with a credit card. You want that transaction reversible, especially if someone steals your credit card. So this is why I struggle so much to see the why of this. How is it a useful product, and how is it a disruptive product? 
Well, proponents say crypto heralds the end of banks, a decentralized currency that gives all the power to the people. Stick it to the banks, stick it to Wall Street, and stick it to the man, the government. It's an anarchist technology, a totally open market with no middlemen, no intermediaries, no regulations. I get the appeal on that front, and it makes even more sense if you consider the emergence of Bitcoin right around the 2008 economic crash and subsequent bank bailouts. But is it better than banks? The reason the banking industry has so many regulations is to protect consumers. I would argue this is only effective up to a point, see aforementioned financial meltdown of 2008, but at least the basics are there, like your bank deposits are federally insured, that FDIC thing you see on every banking ad. That's a safety net to keep you, the consumer, from losing all your money. But there is a certain group of people who do have a strong interest in keeping their transactions private. Criminals. Crypto has been popular for purchasing illegal products and services like drugs and child exploitation material and especially ransoms. The explosion in recent years in ransomware attacks is being driven by crypto. If you're holding a hospital systems hostage demanding $10 million to hand over the de-encryption key, the challenge is how to actually get your money without getting caught. Crypto is practically purpose-built for this. A bank might stop a transaction of $10 million going to, let's say, a known Russian hacking group, and the bank account on the receiving end could be traced anyway. But bitcoins can be transferred instantly with no third party to stop it. Crypto is also used for money laundering, but in both these cases, law enforcement is starting to catch up with more sophisticated tools for catching and stopping these types of misuse. For example, the FBI managed to get back a couple million dollars paid by the Colonial Pipeline in a cyber attack that made headlines last year. But crypto is still popular for conducting transactions you aren't allowed to do in the mainstream banking system. And it's important to note that transactions that aren't allowed could be construed very differently depending on where you are. So on the pro-crypto side, there's always the specter of a dissident or resistance movement fighting a repressive government whose members and supporters have a legitimate need to operate under the radar to avoid persecution. And this is one that's hard to argue against, other than it might not be particularly useful even for this. The thing is, crypto isn't as private as advertised. As I explained, transactions are recorded with an ID and not your name, but your crypto is stored in a wallet which is a piece of software on your phone or computer. So if someone can identify your wallet, your transactions can be traced on the public ledger, the blockchain. And law enforcement has gotten better at tracing transactions. It may take a lot of effort in some cases, but if they want to, they can. And then if you have a whole bunch of crypto, what do you do with it? Anonymity basically goes away when you convert it to dollars, which you'll probably have to do if you want to spend the money. If you convert your crypto to dollars, like on an exchange, let's say Coinbase, 
They have to do some due diligence to comply with financial regulations because of the known risk of money laundering. They'll comply with Know Your Customer guidelines, which usually means verifying your identity, just like a bank would. So, as with any type of currency, if you just show up with a million bucks, it's not like there won't be any questions about where it came from. So, converting crypto into currency that you can actually spend is the off ramp. And that's where regulations and law enforcement can come in. However, this may depend on what country you're in. Russian hackers seem to be very successful with ransomware attacks because Russia isn't that interested in monitoring the off-ramp, so they can pretty much cash out without too much scrutiny. But if you're not running a criminal enterprise, what can you buy with crypto? Like, is it useful for day-to-day purchases? No. Very few businesses will accept direct crypto payments. There may be a small but growing number of businesses who say you can pay them with crypto coins, but generally, that's not really what's going on. What happens is they use a third-party service to exchange bitcoins to dollars so they can then carry out the financial transaction of your purchase. It's a needlessly complicated, expensive, and inefficient convolution that doesn't have any apparent benefit. And then if you want a refund a week later, you'll likely get back a different amount of crypto than the amount you paid, since the value of your crypto will have changed and the exchange rate to the dollar will be different, which hopefully we can all agree is not how we want money to work. So if cryptocurrency isn't useful for buying stuff, it just moves from being used for purpose to a trading commodity that people are feverishly buying up hoping to make a quick buck, counting on the price to go up so they can sell it later. Some have likened this to the greater fool theory, its value artificially inflated by a constant supply of newcomers who hope to sell to more newcomers, and so on. Bill Gates has said that Bitcoin runs 100% on the greater fool theory, or we could call it a speculative bubble. It's really easy to buy and sell crypto these days, but some people who do quote-unquote invest in it don't really know what it is or how it works. But actually, it's even worse than that because buying cryptocurrency seems to be less like investing in the stock market and more like a Ponzi scheme. Many speculative investors are buying crypto out of FOMO, fear of missing out. Hey, you didn't buy Bitcoin 10 years ago? You didn't even know about Bitcoin 10 years ago? Oh, too bad. You could have been a millionaire. But don't worry, now's your chance. It's not too late. Or here's a brand new coin. It's the next Bitcoin and you can get in on the ground floor. And all too often, this leads to something like a pump and dump scheme, where someone hypes a coin using FOMO, a bunch of hopeful people who have no idea what's going on but don't want to miss out buy it, the price goes soaring, and then the guys running the scheme sell off, make a killing, and then the coin crashes, so everyone else who bought it loses everything. So that's the classic pump and dump. But even if it's not an outright scam, any of these coins can crash at any time. Another selling point you'll see hyped about crypto is that it's decoupled from the stock market and the overall economy. So in theory, it should hold its value even when the stock market tumbles. However, that hasn't been borne out. When the markets go down, crypto seems to go down with the ship. 
possibly because people view their crypto similarly to stocks and commodities, so the same basic factors are at play. But thanks to hype, sketchy marketing, Super Bowl ads anyone, and highly questionable celebrity endorsements, it seems that many people have been oversold on the technology as it exists today and gone all in on crypto without understanding that it's inherently risky and that there is no guarantee that any crypto coin will increase in value or even hold its value. Over a couple of weeks in May 2022, cryptocurrencies lost over half a trillion dollars in value, including a coin called TerraUSD, which crashed hard, becoming almost worthless. The worst thing about TerraUSD is it was marketed as a stable coin. In other words, its value was somehow pegged to the US dollar using an algorithm. Not even going to try and explain that one. But the idea being that it solved the problem of the extreme volatility inherent to cryptocurrencies in general. Short story, that didn't work, and people lost all their money, and now a co-founder of Terraform Labs, creator of TerraUSD, has a warrant out for his arrest in South Korea. So all that got people talking more about regulation. Crypto doesn't have a safety net. It's not backed by anything. And that's the whole thing, right? Totally open market, no intermediaries, no banks. But that also makes it problematic when things go wrong and consumers lose their money. It's extremely risky. The crypto industry is rife with fraud and scams. And if something happens to your money, you're very unlikely to get your money back. As creditors found out when a Ponzi scheme run by the quote-unquote crypto king collapsed recently, leaving these investors trying to recoup about $35 million. So we're starting to see some legislators look toward regulating crypto. It even made it into last year's infrastructure bill, requiring crypto exchanges to report transaction information for tax purposes. And on one hand, you might think the crypto industry would be salivating because this legitimizes the industry, potentially opening the floodgates of new customers. But on the other hand, doesn't it also defeat the whole purpose of crypto If it's not anonymous and doesn't exist outside of government oversight, what exactly is the point? And while some in the industry welcome a tracking and oversight entity, we already have such an entity, and it's called a bank. Just not calling it a bank doesn't change the fact that it would be carrying out the functions of a bank. So they won't call it a bank, but it works like a bank. And at that point, what good is it? Wouldn't that just be a shadow system with all the same pitfalls as the mainstream economic system? Plus, if someone steals your crypto, you can't really do anything about it. Yes, people have had their crypto stolen. But wait, I hear you saying, how can this be? Crypto is anonymous and unhackable, and no one could be blamed for thinking that, because that's what everyone tells you about crypto. But it's not really true. All someone needs to do to steal your crypto is hack into your wallet and transfer your Bitcoin to their account, and there's nothing you can do about it. Best practice would be to store your wallet on a non-internet connected device so it won't be vulnerable to hacking. But let's say your device with the wallet on it gets lost or destroyed. Bye-bye crypto. If you forget the password to your wallet, you lose your crypto. It's estimated that 3.7 million Bitcoin have been lost forever in this manner. 
There's that one guy who accidentally threw away a hard drive with $181 million worth of Bitcoin on it almost 10 years ago and is currently hoping to search a landfill in Wales for it with the help of some investors and robot dogs. But it's not just that one guy. Lots of people have lost their Bitcoins by forgetting their password. You can't reset your password because the wallets are intentionally set up so they can validate a password without seeing or storing it. Some people try to circumvent this risk by using a professionally managed wallet service through a crypto exchange. But why would you give your wallet to someone knowing you may never get it back and if you don't, you'll have no recourse? A company called Quadriga, which was the largest exchange in Canada last year, is now unable to return $200 million in assets to its customers because it was storing their wallets on the company's founder's computer, and that guy died. So no one can ever access the customer's wallets again. Lose your wallet, or even just your password, lose your life savings. If this is the future of money, it's pretty depressing. So far, I can't say that crypto lives up to the hype, but could it in the future? I have a tough time believing a product so useless with mostly just speculative appeal can be the way of the future. It just seems like it does stuff we already know how to do, but worse. It doesn't seem to solve any problems, but it does create them. So let's recap. Crypto claim number one, it's anonymous. Nope, not really, though we can probably say it's more private than traditional banking transactions because it takes more effort to trace, which keeps it popular for criminal use. Crypto claim number two, it operates outside of government oversight. Again, not really, and to the extent that it does, it creates an environment ripe for fraud and crime. And with governments increasingly looking to regulate crypto to try and spare customers from the tsunami of fraud, theft, and Ponzi schemes, that claim is likely to become less and less true going forward. Crypto claim number three, it's useful for buying things. Not really. Few merchants accept crypto, and to be honest, how useful can a currency be for day-to-day expenses or bills? if the amount in your wallet changes every day, sometimes drastically, and possibly even losing all its value. Crypto claim number four, it's a good investment. Maybe. You might get lucky. Maybe not. It's even more like gambling than the stock market. The few guys who got in early benefit the most in a rich-get-richer scenario, and downstream things aren't looking good, most people lose, but the crypto millionaires need to keep hyping it to get people to keep buying it. In other words, the benefits just happen to fall in a roughly triangular or pyramid-type shape. Crypto claim number five, crypto is the future. This is possible. Given that interest in crypto seems to be growing, I'm betting crypto isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So maybe if crypto gets more useful and convenient and ubiquitous, we'll all be using it one day. But there are a couple of things that bother me about this possibility besides the environmental concerns. First off, how would this be any different from our current system of digital payments? If I want to pay for something online or use my phone with Apple Pay when I go out shopping, I can. It's fast, easy, and safe. Ergo, why reinvent the wheel? We don't need crypto to do any of this. We've already been doing it for years. 
But secondly, assuming the end game of crypto really is to do away with banks, that sort of assumes a future where people can't or don't trust institutions. And I get why you wouldn't, I do. We're in the midst of a crisis of distrust in institutions here in the US, and I believe it's a global trend to some extent. But do we really want to just give up and say, this is our future? Distrust in institutions is fixable. Corruption is fixable. There are ways to solve our problems in our institutions, particularly banks. We don't have to throw our hands up and say, burn it all down. And if I'm being honest, I've seen nothing to convince me that a widespread crypto future won't just replicate all of those same problems that need solving now. Okay, so we've covered a few basics on crypto, and no, by no means has this been a comprehensive look at crypto. But next episode, let's put the utopia in failed utopia. Crypto utopias. We're talking private islands here, people. That's next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link at the bottom of the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website failedutopia.com or the Facebook page at failedutopiapod. Failed Utopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.